talk to him. Welcome, Regina, to a Spoonful of Fruit podcast. I'm so excited that you are here with me today. Um, I decided to ask you to come and be a part of this podcast, one, because of your experience in mental health, two, because your experience as a pastor and a leader in the community. And I just thought that you would could give people some insight, especially during this time, since everything everyone has been through um, with COVID and just coming into trying to come out or work through a pandemic. I just thought that you could offer some insight to the people. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for for the invite. You know, I always enjoy talking to you. I know. I love talking to you, too, because <laughs> I get stuff from you. I think we feed off each other. I think that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> well, first of all, let's tell the people who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, Once again, I'm Regina Kreider. I am uh, the director of Youth and Family Peer Support Alliance, which is located in central Illinois, and we provide peer support to parents of youth who are navigating multiple systems, uh, uh, child-serving systems, um, and uh, youth who have mental health challenges. We also offer uh, consulting and training, and we do um, family activities that are open to the to the public. Um, I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for the last six years, but I've been in ministry for over 15 years. And then uh, one of my newest ventures that I uh, embarked upon last year was becoming an elected official. Um, I am now a trustee for the village of Rantoul and plus being a wife and a mom. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's okay though. Cause anybody that knows you knows that you are doing this all with a plan. And so <laughs> that's how you make it through and you are able to operate in all of those capacities. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the first things that I would like to ask you is why mental health in children? Oh, so, you know, um, just for full disclosure, uh, one, I am a adult in mental health recovery myself. I've always struggled with depression and anxiety and that was from childhood. Um, and two, my daughter, uh, and I have the uh, permission from her to fully disclose uh, whatever I share about her. I always try to share that with folks that I'm not just sharing to be sharing. But uh, when my daughter was in the fifth grade, she attempted to hang herself in the school bathroom. And so that put us on the fast track um, to dealing with mental health. And I remember after one of her first hospitalizations, when she was uh, admitted to a uh, psych ward, I was standing in the pulpit and I'm looking out over the congregation and I'm like, we can't possibly be the only family that is going through this um, in this congregation. I know there are other parents that are dealing with this. And so that became my heartbeat is thinking about uh, children who struggle with mental health um, turn into adults who struggle with mental health. And if we're able to deal with it and help young people um, deal with it early on, we can help them in their, their future as adults. 
Good, good. So you said that you yourself had struggled with depression and anxiety since you were younger. Did you know that that what it that that is what it was? Um, no, no, I, I really didn't know that's what it was. Um, uh, I don't think I really got a grasp of my own mental health journey until I had my, my daughter. Uh, I suffered with postpartum depression with both of my children very badly. And, you know, growing in the black community that I remember my, my, uh, one of my mother-in-law telling me, well, black women don't have that. Right. That. And I'm like, well, nobody gave me the memo. Right. You're struggling. <laughs> right. Because you're black and you're a woman and you were struggling. <laughs> we're struggling. You know, so the first kid, I was able to get through it. But then the second kid, it took, it, it was really hard to rebound. Um, and so that's when I had, I began my, facing my mental health journey for real was dealing with the depression after um, having a, a child, but then some other things happened in life and um, the depression was just being compounded. So it, it didn't really start my journey until I had my, my second child of really facing it. And when I began to look back over my life, I was like, it was there all along, this low grade sadness that always kind of was there. And then there were some things that happened in my life that also impacted it. Having been molested as a child also uh, it impacted the depression. But you don't realize that all, 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 all of those things are connected until you get more information and you can kind of piece your puzzle together. And it was the Holy Spirit that really helped me um, to, to begin to put that, 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 that narrative together to understand why I, I struggled the way that I did. Right. I would absolutely agree with that. And I always refer to this when, um, I was working for you and we did that training on trauma and we were sitting there and I took the ACE and I looked at you and I was like, Oh, I'm going to get delivered today. Cause I had no idea. <laughs> no idea what was categorized as trauma for yeah. me I was like this wasn't trauma this was a way of life yeah. and so having to having that adaptability and just thinking all those years oh I just went through that because I was supposed to or this is how we were raised or this was whatever yeah. and then actually being in that training and it's saying no baby that wasn't supposed to happen to you Right. And so I do find that um that was that was a eye opening the light came on in my life moment and since that moment I have fallen in love with just trauma and studying it and what yeah. it's about and trying to help even in my coaching business help people overcome obstacles of trauma. Yeah. Not from a therapeutic standpoint, but just from a tool standpoint and realizing hey you've been through some stuff and we all need some coaching and you know what i don't think that people like you said and, and when you said that to me you were like well it's just life this is just the way it was and you gave me a story about an incident uh with your dad and you were just like well that's just the way it was you know it wasn't anything that wasn't trauma that was just life but i think that that's part of it is that we have been conditioned to say that that's just the way it is but with not understanding that just the way it is has impacted us and we carry that in our body 
right? And then we act out on it in different ways, whether it's in relationships or the way we care for ourselves or the messages that we send ourselves or, you know, whatever the case may be, it shows up. It shows up. All the time. And it always will. And one of the things, one of the practices that I do, one of the things that I work out of is that thought process because we think a certain way because we've been conditioned to think that way and then thoughts equal feelings equal behaviors and so with that whole thing it's like okay I gotta change my thinking in order to change how I feel in order to change my behavior and when you learn about trauma you can change your thinking which is why I asked you a minute ago did you know that it was depression did you know it was anxiety I tapped into therapy for the first time in my life, for real, because we know that we we got um, bootleg therapists and we um, have our own sessions amongst friends and we're able to process. But I reached a point last year where I really was like, I need a therapist. Like, I got to figure some stuff out. Right. And, um, and going to this therapist, one of the things that she told me, she said, it sounds like to me you got some situational um, depression going on. And me not realizing like where these feelings were coming from or anything like that. She was like, it's manageable. We can deal with it. She said, but you have to be able to recognize, you know, actually what you're dealing with. And so, um, for me, I've asked people, I said, well, are you depressed? They'd be like, well, I don't know. And that is a red flag for me. Like if we should know, and and not only should we know, we should be able to say that we are yes it should be <laughs> right really right because <laughs> without feeling judged or that people are gonna say oh she's crazy or whatever the case may be absolutely 100 percent agree right and so with that being said you have said that you are also a pastor yes tell me um how you think ministry and the body of Christ needs to evolve when it comes to um, the acknowledgement of mental health among its congregants? Um, I feel, and you know, we were just talking about this before we got on about training. Um, I feel that it starts with the head, with the pastoral leadership, should be being trained even if you don't think that there's an issue in your congregation there's an issue in your congregation period and i feel like the church has not evolved in this area i feel like the church has ignored this issue and a lot of times when the issue is addressed it's addressed with well you need to pray more or it's a spirit or or it's um you uh you need to have more faith um those things are not helpful for a person who is struggling with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or whatever issues that they're dealing with those are just not helpful things right 
Um, and so I feel like the church, and, and especially since what we just come out of with this pandemic, right. and more and more people have been impacted, like no, like we've never seen before around mental health. And so when churches don't put forth that effort to meet people where they need help, I feel like we are do not doing the work that God has called us to, and to just kind of, mm. you know, uh, uh, pass it off as you know oh it's it, you just need to do a little bit more of this that and another well don't you think that if someone knew you know how to resolve it that they would it's so much more than that and so this goes back to the point that you were we were talking about about training it starts with the pastors it starts with the leadership of changing mindsets and, and perspectives about what mental health is and how pastors and churches can be supportive of folks who are going through these things. And I have heard far too many stories of families that I've worked with who have left the church because of how their children were treated, because their children were dealing with some mental health stuff. We're not even just talking about what adults are dealing with. We're right. just talking about how folks are interacting and engaging with folks who have kids that are dealing with mental health stuff. So for example, you know, autism has been, um, a lot of people have been, you know, educated about autism. And so to me, autism is one of those feel good kind of issues that people have a lot of empathy for and they can, you know, be supportive and, you know, all those types of things. And so it's more readily accepted. But when you tell somebody that your child suffers from anxiety and that the reason why that they're having a meltdown is because they're um, having, you know, an they're having an anxious moment and they're hollering and screaming or crying or whatever or tearing up some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They want to send your kid home, but the autistic kid can be doing the exact same thing. But because you say it's autism, I can deal with that. But if I'm saying it's anxiety, why you just don't whoop her? Or why you just don't whoop her? <laughs> well, if you ain't whooping the autistic kid, why are you whooping a kid with, anx with anxiety? Yeah. So it's this lack of understanding of how to deal with this. So in essence, it has not evolved and it has not been um, addressed. Absolutely, I agree that it has not been addressed. Um, I think that um, it, it, one, it hasn't been addressed because of what you said, there is no training and mindsets of it has to change. I think that um, even, even for me in my own evolution, in my own discovery of who God is, who he is to us and, and how he wants to heal us and bring us through things, um, we have to acknowledge where we are and we have to learn like, listen, there are people out here, safe, sanctified, Holy Ghost field, whatever you want to call anointed. them, anointed with your anointed self. <laughs> people yeah. with mental health issues Period. and um one of the things that's you know like um taboo i'll say in the church is um and i have several friends that are therapists is how does the church or how do we as the body of christ promote therapy so i can tell you that this is a personal um crusade of mine all right for the crusade it's a crusade <laughs> to encourage 
people, and especially people in my congregation, I talk openly, I talk freely about mental health. And it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, they have, uh, we, my daughter has grown up in our church. They have seen the things that we've gone through. They've been there through the hospitalizations. They've been through, through you know, when she started cutting the rug at church. They've seen it all, right? And so I, I, I felt it, the need to educate, not explain, educate. Okay, there's a difference. What you're seeing, because there's a difference. Because to me, if I'm explaining, then I want you to receive it and accept it. Whether you receive it or accept it or not, when I'm educating to you, I'm providing facts as to what you're looking at. Now, you can try to dispute facts if you want to, but I'm giving you the truth and what you need to do. And so I try to educate people. Um, but then number two, with my own mental health journey, I am transparent with my congregation about my journey and all of my challenges. There have been times on Sunday mornings that I have not been able to preach because I'm struggling. It happens and I'm real about it. But I also say to my, my congregation, if I'm talking with them or, you know, ministering with them on one-on-one and I know it's something that is deeper than what I'm able to give them, I encourage them to go see a therapist. What my what I say to them is, one, a therapist is going to work through some things with you and, and in a skilled way that I don't have. I come to the table from a spiritual standpoint. I'm not a therapist, mm -hmm. right? Um, I said, but number two, I said, it's an opportunity to you to be completely transparent with no judgment with someone that you don't know but know that they are trained to be there. And then number three, I said, it's, I said, if you go at least once, that's it. Try it one time, see how it feels. If it feels okay, go back. If it doesn't, then don't. But let me tell you, there is benefit from going to therapy. And I can tell you why. Uh, therapy got me through dealing with being molested, mm -hmm. right? As a child, I didn't deal with it until my adult life. I was in therapy. I've been in therapy off and on all of my life. Mm -hmm. So uh, been, I've gone to therapy for the infidelity that I dealt with in my marriage with my husband. Mm -hmm. uh, and I ended up going through therapy for the grief of the loss of my father. Right. So I've shared with these things with my congregation as to the why I have gone to therapy. Therapy doesn't mean you got to stay in it for the rest of your life. Mine were very specific reasons why I went and it was helpful. So my, I tell anybody, have you considered therapy? Mm -hmm. Have you considered going to talk to someone? Have you considered having a, um, a conversation? Let me show you, give you some names of some people that you can consider. That's the other thing. Have some resources on hand that you can actually give the people to say, Hey, these are some possibilities, but I have a personal crusade. Um, and I will tell you that there have been several members from my congregation who have gone to therapy because I've encouraged it. Yes. I love the crusade aspect of it. I love that you're saying that I, I, I actually feel very adamant about that myself. Um, I, I feel like the church should have, a few therapists on staff mm. to where, you know, I don't know how they work it out, but how they find a way to pay the therapist and people that want access can have like six sessions mm. 
to see if they want to continue outside of that or what they want to do just because it is so prevalent and people, um, they're, they're losing it yeah, because they have no outlet. No. And when you've been taught that something's wrong with you, that right? this is not spiritual, that you are basically saying that they're not a good person. And that's not what it is. Trust and believe if I could, um, you know, oh, you just need deliverance. You don't think I want to be delivered? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? You think I'm just holding on to this because I want to be delivered? Oh, you don't have enough faith. I literally got into a huge disagreement with someone recently because he told me that um, that I wasn't I wasn't delivered. I'm like, okay, well, by whose standards? I'm, by what? What? Where do you? Standards. Where do you get the men? Where do you get the manual from? <laughs> Baby, if I had known, I was trying to hold it together. I said, this is part of the problem with the church, and why folks don't want to come to the church with these very real issues, right? It's not because I don't believe in God or trust God. It's because this is a very, like you said about situational depression. A lot of people don't even know that that's a thing. Mm -hmm. Situations can trigger depression in you. And um, everybody's pathway to healing is different. And that's what I told him. I said, your pathway of healing and how you dealt with your mental health is your journey. This is my pathway to healing with my journey with my God as to where he's leading me to. So I've done therapy. I've done medication. Mm -hmm. I've done accommodation of both and Right. Mm -hmm. And and then I've also done nothing, which doing nothing, I'll tell you, is not effective. Right. Out of all of the things I've tried. <laughs> I'm just going right. to sit in it, figure it out. <laughs> right. Until it overtakes me. Right. But doing nothing, because this is the thing. This is the challenge that I the concern that I have about depression, especially for um people don't want to talk about it is the suicidal component that can go along with depression yes. if it gets too bad. And guess what? I've been there too, right? I have been on that end where the depression has been so bad that I'm literally white knuckling it, Lynn, every single day through the day, making it from one second to the next second. And guess what? I never stopped loving God. I never stopped believing in God during the whole time. That's who I was holding on to is Lord, help me through this. You know, I don't want to die, but these intrusive thoughts of dying keeps coming in my head and working this out at the foot of the cross. That's where I take my burden, but everybody don't make it there. Right. And I think you said something really interesting. You said I was white knuckling it. And the one thing that I know for sure about white knuckling it, if I white knuckle it through my day, when I come home, my family gets it. They get, they get the backlash of what I didn't release or what was going on with me during that day. And... <laughs> That that was some of my experiences when not knowing what's going on and me coming home and I might fuss a little bit or I might do this. And my husband said, look, I don't know what's going on with you, but you you better get that together. You know, what I'm saying? or my kids being like, mom, what's wrong? 
at one point, um, and this was just like a little tool that this lady named Mary gave me. Um, and Mary's an awesome therapist. She works at Daymar and um, Daymar Services here. So they deal with mental health issues. She's given me so many tools. Um, she told me like, I was just coming home fussing and I couldn't figure out like every night before I went to bed, I like had to walk around the house and I had to find something wrong and just <laughs> fuss about it. So Mary was like, do you know why you're doing that? And I said, no, I just, I just do it. It's like, I got to do it before I go to bed. I got to do it. She said, what do you like to do? So I told her, I like home design. I like to do it. So she said, find a game on your phone. She said, find something else to do. So literally I would play this game called home design uh-huh. that literally every night, if I thought about fussing, I would play the game uh-huh. simply behavioral replacement. Yeah. Replacing the fussing with me doing something where I was getting some satisfaction. Some gratitude, yeah. I don't know why I was fussing at them, but it was probably because I was having some white knuckle days where I was yeah. coming through and doing that. But I said all that to say that just because I think it's important when we don't address our mental health, the people that suffer the most are our families. It, it, and absolutely, absolutely. And so my white knuckling it, it throughout the day, I work at home. So there's oh, God. <laughs> but, but my white knuckling it as that I'm not much of a fusser because that takes a lot of energy. I'm a withdrawer. Mm. So then it's this uncomfortable feeling that's in the home. And as a woman, we we're the heartbeat of the home. Right. And, and, if you're off, then it throws everything else off. And so sometimes there's a lot of responsibility in carrying that. And so what I've tried to do over the years is educate my family on my needs. Like when That's I'm withdrawn, I need for you to do A, B, C, and D, right? Um, because some, I can't all, it can't always be about y'all, right? And, and this is my, my struggle that I've struggled with. And so I've educated my husband. I've educated my children about my mental health. And um, I have to say that they, they are very supportive because there's some times when it's really, it can be really bad. It can be really bad, but um, like they know it's real bad. Like my mom knows it's real bad when I won't answer the phone. Uh, Cause I just can't talk or whatever the case may be. But at those times, she's like, I don't know what to do for you. I was like, the main thing I need you to do is to pray for me. Yeah. To pray for me. But it's really about educating people about the fact that you're white knuckling it. Cause what you, what you realize is what you were saying. You don't even really realize you're white knuckling it until mm-hmm. you start snapping on the folks <laughs> around you. Like for me, like I said, I tend to withdraw and it creates this uneasy feeling in the home. And and I know then that I really need to get myself, get myself together. Um, I want to address this really quickly. When you, when uh-huh. you first realized your daughter was having mental health issues, how did you as a mother deal with, um, or did you deal with guilt and shame? Um, I don't think I dealt with guilt and shame until later in her journey. And the guilt more so came from the medication aspect for me, right? 
Um, and the reason being is, is because you want your child to be well, but because I had never done this before, I didn't fully understand how medication would impact her. Mm -hmm. Right. And so my daughter's 22 now. I can't tell you how many different types of medication she's been on over the years. And I believe that that has impacted her body, especially her body mass. And so my daughter's over six feet tall and over 300 pounds. And so I believe that medication has played a big part in that, in her weight issues that she has, which in turn impacts her self-esteem, which in turn impacts her motivation, which right. in turn, you know what I'm saying? So it's this trickle down effect. And so it starts with me of saying, well, had you known, why didn't you know? And so I've had to really reconcile that guilt. As far as the shame factor, you know what? I didn't feel shame so much to speak. Uh, it, in the beginning, I felt shame when it came to dealing with my immediate family. Mm. And the reason wow. is because you at the family gathering and your kid is cutting a rug. And with black folks, you like, what? Is, what is the problem here? What is going on? Why are you not right? <laughs> Why is she doing that you need to be her but you need to do this you know and so i found myself making excuses like oh she didn't sleep well last night or she's a strong-willed child or and you know what i realized yeah all of that was true but she was also extremely anxious mm -hmm. she suffered with depression and she was autistic and see with us i didn't find out until diana was 14 that she was autistic and so once we found that out, all of her life then made much more sense to us, right? Right. And so the shame really came in was trying to, um, trying to, feeling embarrassed by what my family thought about my parenting as a, wow. as a black mother. Cause you know, we just don't, that's, we just don't put up with that, right? We don't put up with kids just doing what they want to do, but it was a, it was behavioral and emotional and mental. And so trying to get my family to understand that was, was probably the hardest part of, of, of the shame factor. Yeah. Um, the reason why I asked about the guilt and shame is because, um, I do find that, especially in the African-American community, a lot of times in the beginning, we're in denial about what's wrong with our child. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want to be like, oh, yeah, it's something there. But, you know, we really don't want to address like what's going on or we don't we're off. We don't we don't want to put them on meds and we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that. And those things can be detrimental um, yeah. when it comes to our children and the mental health issues and the process. Do you find what would you say to a mom? whose child is struggling with mental health and they are feeling like they haven't done, they're questioning their parenting. Um, Cause it's our fault, right? Like we, <laughs> you know, sometimes we think, oh, well this, this, I guess it's my fault. I guess I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Well, if you do like me, you just blame it on the other side of the family. I <laughs> just get that from your daddy and him. <laughs> 
kidding. I'm t- no, I get it. I, I get it. Um, so this is how I encourage parents is, uh, as a, this is how I came to it, to reconcile it. God gave her to me. God gave you the child that you have. And so he entrusted you enough with this child. And if you're trusting God, then you know that what we know is, is that he'll equip you with every single thing that you need to care for this young person. And so when you start feeling like, oh, I'm not this and I'm not that, that ain't nothing but the enemy. That is not God because God gave this child to you. And I remember when I had to have that conversation with myself was, you know what, Lord, why me? And am I messing this kid up? Right. Well, what am I doing? And he just said, I gave her to you. So I'm going to equip you. And that's what I have to have confidence in. And so that's what I want to encourage parents today god gave that child to you and so have confidence in knowing that he's going to equip you to be able to care for that child in every aspect that's needed and let me also say this what i'm learning with my own daughter is is that uh i was i i don't know i had this kind of once she turned 18 type deal in my mind that all things no what i've learned is that the parenting has become harder right Right. 22 now and so it's just parenting an adult child with mental health challenges. And so I still have to say the same thing to myself is that God, you gave her to me. Obviously you felt like I could handle this and that you're going to equip me for every challenge that comes up. And trust me, she has pushed every single boundary that there has possibly been <laughs> able to push in all of this and so i just say you know god gave them to you trust trust that he's going to equip you to do what you need to do but you got to be open to it as well i have to tell you i had to change my parenting style altogether Mm, Um, that's good that's good Uh, i I like that i did i had to revamp my approach to my Mm. parenting i remember uh when i first started taking her to therapy she was in junior high and at that time, I was still getting that tail because her mouth, oh my goodness, right? Right. Um, I remember I remember talking to the therapist and she said to me, she says, well, Regina, she says, you have to stop uh, whooping her because you don't know, you know, what's triggering all of this. I said, okay, I just want to whoop the sassy mouth kid, the one that got the slick mouth and slick remarks and all this other stuff. I said, I don't want to whoop the child that got the mental health issue. I want to whoop the one that got all of this (laughs) slick stuff to say. Right. Get out of me. Because what you learn when you have a child with mental health challenges is guess what? It triggers your mental health. Right. right? And I needed to get that out some kind of way. And so that was my reckoning of changing my approach with my parenting. And so once again, you know, when you're dealing with your family members of, well, what do you mean time out? What do you mean send her to her room? Why you didn't lay hands on her? I said, because at this point I can't keep doing that because all that's going to do is make the situation worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I like that you said you had to adapt and change your parenting style though, because a lot of times we don't pull back and say, 
I mean, it's the cycle of insanity. I'm doing the same thing over and over again, and I'm getting the same results. So there's something that has to change, and the one that's able to change in this situation is me. Period. Yeah. And and But I didn't feel like I was doing myself a disservice as a parent because I went back, and I went back to the word of God of, you know, what is love? Love is being patient. Love is being kind. Love is being gentle. Love is long-suffering. And when you have a child with a mental health challenge or disorder, you're going to suffer long. Right. You are going to suffer long. And that's when you really have to plug into the fruit of the spirit. Because that is the only thing to me that's going to, because I still want to have a good relationship with my child at the end of the day. I still want to feel connected. There's a lot of parents who feel a lot of resentment and bitterness towards their child because of all of the ups and downs that they've been through with their kid. I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. And so it was imperative that I change and change my approach instead of trying to force something that just wasn't, I could see wasn't going to happen. Absolutely. I love that. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, thinking about where do you think we're going with mental health? So nationally, I think that there has just been a great, um, uh, reckoning that is becoming way more public people are talking about it more you have celebrities talking about it you got everyday folks that's talking about it uh, you know that this month was mental health awareness month and so a lot of people on national levels and different platforms promoting it so on an, on as far as the education and uh, advocacy and acceptance standpoint, I think we're in a much better place than where we were even pre-pandemic. I, I really do. Um, but I think that we need to bring it closer to in our homes. What are we doing in our homes? Are we talking about mental health? Are we talking about you know social and emotional um, um, uh, competencies about ourselves? You know, are we um, doing more than just providing for our children, you know, physical things, but are we meeting them where they need to be on that emotional level too? If your child is, you know, have you ever asked your child, have you ever considered suicide? Have you ever, you know, are you having those conversations? Do you feel down? What do you do? Are you teaching your child self, uh, self-care, you know, mm. how to do good self-care um, early on? These are conversations that just need to be being had every day in everyday life. You know, uh, what I learned uh, is that I we focused on our oldest, our youngest child so much that our oldest child kind of got left out in 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 on his own. But there was a six year age difference, and so we he was more resilient, and he's a very different kid than her. But what I learned as and uh, that he was explained to me as an adult is that he has a lot of anxiety, but because of what we were dealing with with her, I didn't catch it. So what do we do with that? You know, how do we mm. resolve that? And so I've had to make up for some lost time in helping support him with his mental health as an adult. And so, it, but I'm glad it's just this ongoing conversation and we talk about it a lot. Um, and I find that a lot of times women are at the helm of this 
our men need to be just as equally invested and involved as well. Because I think our yes. men are struggling with their mental health too. They just don't talk about it. And we need to try to create space in our homes where, where they can talk about it or they can exhibit it or show it. And I think it's a little bit more difficult to detect what's going on with our men than it is with our children or ourselves. I love that. I love that. Um, I, I do think that with men, um, I feel like they, they do, um, different types of self-medication, um, um, just to, because one, they may not know what they're dealing with Two, because that's, that's been their coping mechanisms. And however that self-medication may come, um, they find ways to do that. And I think that that's a whole different podcast. Well, (laughs) self-medication is a whole different podcast because we all got our ways of coping and what we do. Um, I just think that it's interesting the things that we pick up. And oftentimes we don't know if our self-medication is doing more harm than good. And good. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's just a general observation out of watching the men in my life, how they self-medicated. And so they don't deal with the mental health side yeah. of it. You know, I think that, um, like I said, with, with our journey with my daughter, I've done the majority of the heavy lifting, so to speak. And, um, but because I, I am predisposed to depression and anxiety, I had an idea that, you know, you, your kids could potentially have it. But it was with my conversation with my son that made me realize, you know, I need to do better. I want to do better about talking about mental health because I want him to be able to grow and be available and show up for his family, right, um, to be healthy, to be um um, uh, aware and, and for his future wife. I mean, I feel like I have to do my part as his parent to, to educate him and try to give him the tools, resources, and empower him so that when he's in his own home with his own family, that he can show up and still be dad, husband, whoever he is. Um, but that, he's bringing all of himself and that if, if dad is having a bad day or feeling this kind of way or whatever, that it's not like, you know, everybody's afraid or whatever the case may be, but because they're talking about it. And so I really, I really feel very strongly that we need to bring that conversation and practice to the home. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with self-care. Absolutely. I would absolutely agree with that. I know we talk self-care and we say these things, but putting it into practice and actually making it happen has got to become something that we must do. I just did a um, a program for the Steve Foundation on uh, Thursday, I think Thursday evening, and we were doing it on self-care. And, you know, one of the things about self-care, Lynn, is that in order to do self-care, you got to know yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that people first think, oh, you should go, especially amongst women, go go get a pedicure, go get a manicure. 
that's for me that's maintenance that ain't that's right right it's something that we do all the time to maintain who we are and what we like to do but it's not actually practicing self-care and i had to come to that realized realization too because i was like oh i get and it was like no this is just maintenance it's not actually caring for myself right i remember so what i've learned that like if i'm stressed easily one of the things that i think is a self-care practice for me is paying my bills on time right that's good self-care because now I'm not worried or stressed by the fact, oh, I forgot to do this or I forgot to do that, you know, but paying them as they're coming in. That is a practice and a skill that's one less stressor that you can remove from your life. To me, it's finding out those things that are very important to you um, that really cares for your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. What, what is that? And so for me, mine is, is focusing on having peace. Anything that's going to disturb okay. my peace, <laughs> I got to figure out a way how to eliminate that or eradicate it or whatever the case may be. But yeah, it's really knowing yourself. You have to know yourself in order to practice good self-care. That's good. I love that. Well, I want to thank you for coming. I feel like there's so many ways we can go with this. There are so many more questions that I want to ask. So I'm going to have to have you back <laughs> at some point because I feel like you have given the people so much good information. I feel like that you've, um, for that mother that may be out there struggling with their daughter, with their son, with someone who, anyone around them that's struggling with mental health, I feel like you have a giving them giving them some tools and so um i would love to have you back of course we'll arrange it or whatever but um is there anything that you would like to say or offer to the people as a final point um actually there's two things um in honor of of mental health awareness month i would like to ask everyone um to please just save in your phone the um, National Suicide Hotline telephone number and their phone. Um, and there's also a crisis text line that you can share with folks if people are, are um, in crisis. You may not know what to do, rather even if it's your own kid or a family member or whomever, at least you have something on hand that you can share. And um, when it comes to encouraging parents around de- uh, their child's mental health is I liken it unto this. If your child was diagnosed with leukemia or some other type of ailment, you know, you would turn over every single stone. You would do whatever needed to be done in order to save that child's life. That's the same type of approach that we need to take of um, tenacity and fearlessness and ferociousness with our own children and dealing with uh, mental health, but recognize it's a journey. And and I, like I said, you will suffer long, mm. but our children are uh, depending on us to help them get through it. Wow, thank you. That is great advice. Once again, Miss Pastor Regina Kreider, we thank you for coming and being a part of a Spoonful of Fruits podcast. Um, It was a great interview, and I thank you for your insight that you've given the people today. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. 
Thank you. I'm not talking clothes. I'm talking vulnerability. Overshadows compatibility. Showing me deep and dark spaces. Never concerned with changing faces. Cause this is all about acceptance. This is us building a nexus. And when she understands, she gets the message.